Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So today's podcast is going to be a series of answering questions and queries and issues that have come up over the last uh, couple of months, say, um, both from direct messages that I've received, uh, things that have come up in the practice, as well as things that have come up in our circle of care. If you have not been introduced to all of the different things that we do, um, both in our practice and on our various uh, social media connections, let me just briefly tell you a little bit about us. So uh, if you're new to this podcast, this is a podcast that I started as a mom, a, an attorney in Massachusetts, and someone who is connected in the disability community as a resource. And, you know, this has been just you know, 20 year dream of mine. Um, I know every time I say that I feel older and older, but when my family was young, I was floundering and I struggled so much to find information. And there was a piece here and a piece there and a piece there. And every time I would ask a question or connect up with this person or that person, they would say, oh, yes, here you go. You know, here's one little piece of the puzzle, but now you have to go and talk to this agency or you need to call that person or, you know, if you need this other thing, you know, you need to go and check out this resource. And it was just a never ending game of chasing down this thread and that thing and so on and so on. And that went on for nearly two decades of Elizabeth's life, my daughter Elizabeth. My daughter Elizabeth was born with uh, mitochondrial disease. We didn't know it at the time. She was a 29 week, two pound preemie. And uh, four years later, I had my daughter Caroline, who was not born with any issues that we could see, but due to being a sibling in this family full of crises, one after the other, you know, she had what I call some fairly uh, profound sibling issues that popped up and that we talk about on this podcast from time to time. And so those sometimes come out with anxiety and, you know, just a real um, need to just connect uh, with her parents and also the, the disability community as well. And they require some special attention from time to time. So Elizabeth was a wheelchair user. She had a pretty profound brain injury from being a preemie, but also as we later found out at about two and a half years old, she had mitochondrial disease, which is a progressive neuro disorder and um, impacted uh, pretty much every function in her body. Um, and eventually it did take her life at age 17. 
So that's our story and our journey. And it's not everybody's journey, of course. Um, but as I, you know, say, as I mentioned on this podcast and on the other things that we do, having had that struggle and that story, that disability story and journey, it really set me on this path of trying to find information and trying to put together in, in such a struggling way um, the, the resources that I needed and connect with the community in a way that was cohesive and made sense. And it was so hard. And we did it at a time when the internet wasn't a thing. Um, so now I, I want to say it's easier yet. I think being flooded with information is not necessarily easier. It's different, right? Um, because now you have to wade through so much information to figure out what's applicable, what works, and you still don't have navigation guidance. So um, this is the very early attempt on our part at Special Needs Law Group and Special Needs Family Services. Those are the two companies that I started to try to connect resources, families, professionals, and other interested parties in the disability community to connect everybody together in one, one group, one way, um, not selling anything, not, you know, not um, a professional connection, like, you know, I'm going to sell insurance, and you're going to sell legal services and that kind of thing. So that is why I started the podcast. That's why I also started the Facebook group Circle of Care. Of course, you have to be on Facebook to join it, but it is free. And on our specialneedscompanies.com, you'll find resources there. They're all free. And although it takes a, just an enormous amount of my time and, to be frank, a lot of money that um, doesn't come back to us in any way because we don't advertise and we don't have, you know, subscribers, so to speak, um, that may have to change at some point because it is costly to keep up with all of this. I'll just be honest about that. We are just really trying to come up with a way to connect the community together. So um, this podcast is, is just one of those resources that we are putting out there. So I know that the podcast is reaching a lot of people. It gets listened to every week. We've actually gone to an every other week format just because it's becoming a challenge to get out there every week. Um, and again, it's costly. I pay somebody to edit the podcast and put it up, uh, up there because it's not something I can do every week. Um, and I do want you to know that, uh, that, you know, we are, um, getting it out there. So we do have a lot of folks who want to be on the podcast and there are a lot of people who we want to interview, but there's just so many hours in the day that I can get to everything that I want to do. 
Um, if you do want to be on the podcast, if you have a great resource, a professional or a family story that you think would be awesome, please do go ahead and email um, to the podcast. You can um, look at the resources on the page and at specialneedscompanies.com and go ahead and reach out to us there. And we would love to hear from you. But most importantly, please do rate and review because that does help get the podcast out to people who are looking for this resource. In addition, go ahead and join the Circle of Care. It's free. And every week we have a host on Wednesdays, Eastern time at six o'clock who uh, records a live event um, discussing a topic of importance, I hope, to special needs families in the community and um, disabled individuals. And that, of course, sits on the uh, Circle of Care Facebook page. So having said that, um, I have grouped together an enormous amount of guardianship questions. So ever since the Britney Spears case hit the platform and went live in the media from uh, everywhere from Teen Vogue to um, the Wall Street Journal and everything in between from coast to coast and across the world, um, it has really shined a spotlight on guardianships and it has been great in a lot of ways, but also um, kind of awful too, because there's a lot of misinformation out there. At the same time, one of the challenges that we really, really have is we've got 50 different states with 50 different guardianship laws out there. So it can be a really difficult topic to do in a podcast <laughs> because you can really um, you can talk about some general to general topics and some basics for sure, but when it gets down to it, you've got to figure out what's going on in your own state as far as guardianship protections and guardianship um, laws when it comes to notice and things like that. But the questions and the issues that got raised and that have come through the various platforms that we have, have been many. And um, one of the topics that came up several times in a bunch of different forms was, you know, how do you terminate a guardianship? And this, of course, got raised because of Britney Spears. And so in general, how you terminate a guardianship is, you know, you, you need to start with in every jurisdiction, you're going to need some medical evidence or proof that something has changed that shows that the incapacity that existed previously has changed, that the person is now capable of making decisions for themselves. So either your guardianship that might have been a full guardianship before could now be limited in some way, and the person has regained some capacity to make some decisions for themselves, or has regained capacity to make 
all of their decisions. There are many states that have gone from having no alternatives to guardianship to now having supported decision-making laws, and many more are considering supported decision-making laws. And these supported decision-making agreements I've spoken about before in my podcast, they are an alternative to a guardianship in that they allow a person with capacity, albeit maybe some limited capacity, to be able to have a group of supporters assist with decision-making. But the difference being that the person who is the decision maker is able to take the advice and weigh it and decide whether they're going to follow that advice or not follow that advice. And that is a key difference because in a guardianship, the guardian is the decision maker. You know, it's pretty black and white. With a supported decision making agreement, the disabled person remains the decision maker for themselves and they are helped and supported by, you know, anywhere from one to many people who are offering advice and counsel, maybe somebody who can help fill out forms somebody who can, you know, help research a a problem, somebody who can assist in interpreting some medical information when a decision needs to be made, somebody who can go to the bank and help, you know, get an account opened and that sort of thing. But the person who, you know, is the ultimate decision maker is that disabled person themselves. So if at any time they decide that I don't want to do that medical procedure, I understand what you're saying, but no thank you, that's not for me. Even if you think I should have that procedure, I don't want to do it. Ultimately, that decision is left to them. So there's a, there's a big you know, gap there between guardianship and supported decision-making agreements. So um, the alternative sort of somewhere in between is having incapacity documents like a healthcare proxy and a power of attorney for financial decision-making. And those documents should be there if a person is going to come out of or terminate a guardianship because those documents require capacity for signing and they have different levels of capacity necessary to understand and sign them. In virtually all jurisdictions, the capacity to understand and sign a healthcare proxy is very, very low. You really only need to understand that you need help with healthcare decision-making and who you want to make that decision for you. The the capacity level required for a 
durable power of attorney in most jurisdictions is, is a little bit higher because financial decisions are more complicated and there is usually uh, more of a threat of somebody being taken advantage of. So we're a little bit more concerned under the law with you know, what that level of capacity is for someone to sign a power of attorney. We don't want somebody signing those um, who has been coerced or um, has been, you know, who is the subject of financial abuse. So we want to make sure that that person had capacity at a higher level to sign that power of attorney and give somebody authority over all of their assets and their income. So getting back to terminating that guardianship, it's going to require a trip back to court and that medical documentation, which looks a little different in every state. But in general, you need to take a look at what that situation was that existed when that person went under a guardianship decree to begin with and what's changed. So if you have somebody who has an intellectual disability, that's a childhood disability. So intellectual disability by definition occurs in childhood prior, prior to age 18. And that, that in and of itself doesn't change. You still can have an intellectual disability, but you can grow in your life skills and your, your adaption, your adaptation, um, your ability to, um, manage your, your, um, daily living. So you would have a, a medical report, whatever that looks like in your state, in our state, that would be a clinical team report that would say, yes, that disability still exists, but maybe our person is living in a stable environment, is able to take care of their activities of daily living, is able to drive, is, you know, has a job, is able to manage their, you know, basic um, bill paying. There are just different, different things that we can point to that says that this person no longer has a need for the guardianship. And that can come about because somebody at age 18, when sort of being forced out of the nest, in a, in a sense, legally, might not have the capacity because they're on a little bit of a different trajectory for growth and maturity than your typical person. They would not be ready to make those adult decisions yet at age 18. But by the time they're, say, 25 or 30, they're in a different place and they may not need a guardian any longer. And that's why alternatives to guardianship are so important and supporting that growth and that maturity and the decision making 
of a young person while they continue to grow is very important because at age 18, we are not really sure what we're going to be seeing when they're 25. It's really hard to project what that's going to look like. So that's what termination looks like. You're also going to have to give notice to all the same people that you had to give notice to before in most states. Um, you may not need to necessarily give notice to all the siblings or all of the, you know, the parents, et cetera, et cetera. But it, it depends on what your state law says. You may only need to give notice to the parties in the guardianship action, but it's important to recognize who you need to give notice to. And in some states, you may have to give notice to provider agencies. Um, it's, it's important to note who you're going to need to give notice to and where some people's loyalties lie and who's going to be invested in this guardianship and whether they're going to want that guardianship to continue or not. Um, so that's important. So that's termination. Uh, a lot of questions about that. And how do you get medical evidence for an adult? That has been challenging. It is challenging, especially for somebody who may be in their 40s or 50s, who you might or might not have records for anymore. And you typically just don't have the resources out there to do testing on an adult. Um, and you may not have doctors and psychologists and social workers and whoever else you need to step forward who are going to be ready, willing, and able to commit to filling out the paperwork necessary to change a guardianship decree at this late date for somebody. People are nervous about stepping out into the limelight and putting themselves on the line. Um, they, they don't want to be caught up in something that might be a mistake. Uh, they don't want to put somebody at risk. You know, they see guardianship maybe as a safe bet. So that sometimes can be a challenge for people who are trying to do the right thing. So there you go. Um, now, other guardianship questions that have come up. So people have been asking about right to counsel and right to counsel should be universal across every state. And that is another thing that came up in the Britney Spears case, but it is also a state by state factor. And not every state has a right to counsel as a uniform right. So what does that mean? In every state, just because you have been the subject of a guardianship petition, you do not necessarily get the right to counsel. So I will give you an example here in Massachusetts. If you have a guardianship petition that's been brought against you, you get notice. You, when you get notice, um, delivered to you, 
you can get your own counsel at some point, but you don't automatically get appointed counsel. And you would need to understand that notice and be able to hire your own counsel at your own cost if you wanted to fight the guardianship action. So if you didn't have the wherewithal, either financially or if you were somebody who was diminished in any way, you would not be able to do that. Let's say that you were living in the same household, whether it's your parents or spouse or a caregiver or whoever, you would not be able to fight that that guardianship petition. You might not even know to show up if that were the case. Um, so that happens all the time, all the time. In some situations, there are certain medications in Massachusetts where it, based on the treatment plan, you automatically get counsel appointed for you and it's paid for by the state. But those are a small percentage of the cases that come up. So we don't have an automatic right to counsel that just occurs and the state pays for it. In other states, that's different. Now, what came up in Britney Spears' case was she had counsel appointed for her. However, that was counsel that was chosen, was paid for with her money, but was chosen by the petitioner's counsel or her father's counsel, um, her father and her father's counsel. So it wasn't an attorney of her own choosing. And when she wanted to get her own attorney, because she was found to be incapacitated, it was kind of a double-edged sword, if you can understand this. They were saying that she, because she was incapacitated, could not form an attorney-client relationship and could not hire her own counsel because she didn't have the capacity to hire her own counsel and to have a, an attorney-client relationship. So. That um, me meant that she didn't have really any relationship with the counsel that she had, and the counsel that she had wasn't really putting forward the plan that she wanted. So here in Massachusetts, um, our CPCS counsel, our, our counsel that's appointed automatically on those, you know, few, the, that small percentage of cases, it is their job not to do what's in the best interest, but to put forward the case that their clients want. So let's say you have someone suffering from profound mental illness, and that person is currently on a treatment plan with antipsychotic medications, and that treatment plan is really important to keep that person from suffering. But they don't like the medication and they want to come off the medication and that's what they tell their counsel. It's their counsel's duty to fight that treatment plan even if that treatment plan is in that person's best interest. So that's the duty of the attorney for the respondent, the respondent being the disabled person. 
So if you're following this argument, then the person with a disability um, has the right to counsel in Massachusetts, but only under certain circumstances automatically gets appointed counsel. And in every state, it's just a little bit different. So what's happening nationally is that several organizations have gotten together and are trying to come up with a set of um, best practices and guidelines where each step, each state would adopt and have right to counsel be absolute in all circumstances. But in a practical way, that is really challenging to think about because how how is counsel going to get paid for? Think about how much that's going to bog down the courts. How would you have an attorney appointed for every guardianship case going through? And how would how would that work financially? I'm not saying that it shouldn't happen. Um, when you are talking about guardianship, you are literally talking about taking away somebody's right to choose and make their own decisions. You are literally taking away somebody's freedom. That is as important as important can get. But at the same time, I mean, we really are like, you know, when get, getting down to brass tacks here, we really are getting down to, you know, practical things. Um, we really have to think about how will this work? And in many other states, there just aren't enough attorneys to do this work. There's not enough money in the judicial system to pay for all of this. And if you don't have enough lawyers who will volunteer to pick up these cases, it's just not going to get done. And the cases will languish. They will sit for years. Um, and that's not going to help anybody at all. So um, I don't have the answers, but, uh, but that is what the right to counsel argument is all about. So those were the two things that I wanted to highlight about the many questions that came in in different forms that I've been getting. Um, and I know that uh, because I've got listeners from all over the country that you have individual questions, I want to encourage you to get some support in your own state. And if you need an attorney to answer questions in your state, um, there are a couple of networks that you can go to to try to find help. So if you go to www.naela.org, you can find an attorney in your state that specializes in disability or elder law. Um, look for, the, there'll be attorneys with all different um, sort of specialties, but if you look for somebody who does this kind of work, does guardianship work, uh, you will definitely find someone who can help and assist and answer your guardianship questions. In addition, there are two other networks. There's the Special Needs Alliance, and there's the Academy of Special Needs Planners, and they generally have attorneys in most of the states that are part of their groups, and um, there's the um, National Guardianship Association as well, where you can go to and look for 
answers to some guardianship questions that you may have. So I hope that this helps. Um, I certainly could not get to all of the guardianship questions that came in. Thank you so much. Keep those questions and issues coming. This was a fascinating month for guardianship questions that came up. I am so glad that Britney Spears case, you know, shone a spotlight on these very important issues. Guardianship definitely needs to evolve and we do need to be thinking about what the next level of supported decision making is going to look like as we move forward into much more individualized and person-centered planning for the future. As we look to really doing things as a community and not agency-based and individual, you know, family-based, um, I think that we're going to get closer and closer to what the ideal kind of solution will be for decision-making. And um, I think that, you know, we as the community are the ones who will come up with this and not our government. So that's just my two cents. Love to know what you think. Keep those questions coming. And thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate and review. Have an awesome day. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them, and I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping. If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.